The Writer Files, a member of the Podglomerate Network. I want to mention a great resource for writers, and this month's sponsor, Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories. I'll expound later in the show, but the short version is this long-awaited book about the craft of creative writing from New York Times bestselling author Steve Almond sets out to debunk the well-meaning but misguided myths that hold us back from writing our deepest and most honest work. Pick up a copy today of Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, wherever you buy books, more soon. Greetings, scribes. I have got some exciting news to share. The Writer Files now has an exclusive Patreon community where subscribers will get exclusive access to uncut ad-free interviews, a writer's happy hour, bonus breakdowns, and content from productivity and publishing experts each month. In the meantime, just head over to patreon.com slash thewriterfiles. It's free to join Patreon to get a preview and you can upgrade anytime. That's patreon.com slash thewriterfiles. Help us start something special. The Writer Files is brought to you by Studio Press, the industry standard for premium WordPress themes and plugins. Built on the Genesis framework, Studio Press delivers state-of-the-art SEO tools, beautiful and fully responsive design, airtight security, instant updates, and much more. If you're ready to take your WordPress site to the next level, see for yourself why over 177,000 website owners trust Studio Press. Go to rainmaker.fm slash studiopress right now. That's rainmaker.fm slash studiopress. These are the writer files. A tour of the habits, habitats, and brains of working writers. From online content creators to fictionists, journalists, entrepreneurs, and beyond. I'm your host, Calgary writer, podcaster, and mediophile. And each week, we'll discover how great writers keep the ink flowing, the cursor moving, and avoid writer's block. Acclaimed horror author Jonathan Jans stopped by this week to talk about his passions, his workmanlike process as a writer, and the skeletons in his closet. Award-winning horror and zombie maestro Brian Keane called Jans one of the best writers in modern horror to come along in the last decade. In addition to being a multi-genre author, Jonathan leads a double life as a full-time high school educator and a family man. He's the author of nine novels and recently signed an 11-book deal to offer limited-run collector's editions of his books. And Jonathan's 10th novel, Children of the Dark, lands uh, this March and has been likened by critics to Stephen King's work. Join us for this two-part interview. And if you missed the first half, you can find it over on writerfiles.fm or in the show notes. In part two of this file, Jonathan and I discuss the Faustian curse of all talented writers, why empathy is crucial to finding creative success, how your success as a writer depends on your work ethic, why reading is just as important as writing, and the secret to overcoming your terror of the blank page. Well, if you don't mind digging into your creativity a little bit, I'd love to pick your brain about um, kind of how you define creativity in your own words. Sure, absolutely. I think for me, creativity, I, I really respect people who actually do it. 
I just think that there, there are so many people who are born with talent in all walks of life, but that's what you have after, and really that's through no merit of your own. And you, you and I have both seen writers, they just have this, it's almost like they've, like this Faustian deal with, with Satan. They have this amazing talent, but yet they don't really produce. To me, there's this element of, with creativity, there's this element of determination, with respect for what you're doing, with humility, and with persistence. And I know those things aren't strictly creativity, but when I think of creativity, I, I think of those things as being essential, um, essential companions for creativity to actually find its voice. Uh, to, me, to me, creativity is... Uh, Stephen King, again, I know I sound like I'm slavishly devoted to him, but, but he, I think he does know of what he speaks. He talks about, um, he talks about stories as being found objects, kind of like their author as archaeologist. Hmm. And in Indiana Jones-like, we go into our subconscious, uh, some conscious mind, and we try to unearth whatever is there. But it really involves listening. It involves you know being intuitive and then being in tune with these voices and these objects. And then we just try to unearth them without without destroying them, without damaging them in any way. So you've got listening to your subconscious, but then at the same time, you've got the you've got the determination, the desire, and then just the discipline to do it. Uh, I, I think for somebody to be truly creative, I think it has to go beyond what you have innately. I think that you also have to possess those other uh, tools and those other traits to really let that creativity um, be expressed. And that's why I look, like, I look at a guy like Stephen King again, and I just love that he has never stopped learning. Now, I, I know his fiction isn't for everybody, just like no writer is for everybody. But I look at his stuff now, I look at a book like Joyland, Mr. Mercedes, and it's, he's still got that like satanic gift, uh, incredible gift, uh, talent. But he also, I can see development from, from, from Carrie and The Shining, I see development to now. He's never stopped learning. Yeah, mm. so, so yeah, I, I, I think that's, if that made any sense other than the just babbling. Oh yeah, absolutely. I really uh, resonate with the kind of um, collective, unconscious, uh, you know, just kind of how writers have to really delve into that. Um, I don't know. Have you ever read any Jung? Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Like yeah. Uh, my dad handed down to me a lot, or left to me a lot of books when he passed. Um, he was a Jungian uh, psychologist. And one of those books was a book called man and his symbols. And it's just got all these like weird, like pictures and, and, you know, Jung was a weird, kind of a weird guy. Um, <laughs> but you know, when you look at his stuff, it's like, uh, his message is pretty, pretty, pretty fascinating. It really is. Yeah. I don't know as much about, but I, I, I have, I have read some, I think is in a, is, I guess in grad school, I was exposed uh, to, to some of his uh, thinkings uh, and beliefs. And yeah, it, it, it's really fascinating. I think that, I don't know, I think that he would to a degree really get King's mantra. I think, hmm. <laughs> I think yeah. he would agree with that. Or Joseph, Joseph Campbell really is kind of the more um, accessible kind of probably gateway to 
you know, a hero with a thousand faces. And, right. And, uh, well, anyway. Um, so when do you, when do you personally feel the most creative? Is it when you, you're sitting down to, to get into a story or, or is there, is there another time when you kind of feel more creative? Yeah, I think that the number one time, there are times when I'm, I, I'm, I'm almost never without my family. I mean, if I'm, I have the most boring life to an outsider in the, of anybody I've ever met. But for me, I'm just so happy. I'm so thankful uh, because I'm either with my family or I'm teaching or I'm writing, and that's it. I have no social life, and people think I should probably be more well-rounded, but I'm just, <laughs> those are the things that make me happy. Mm. But on the rare occasions when I am in the car by myself, like on the way to a convention or something, those are creative moments because I will just be thinking about my books mm -hmm. for an hour, hour and a half, and I'll just talk into my phone uh, making these, these voices memos. So that's, those are moments when I have creative bursts. I think primarily for me, and this is, this is not a sexy answer, but when I write, it, it's almost like automatic writing. And, and whether that truly exists or not, who knows? I kind of, I'm skeptical, but you know, this idea that people receive messages from the beyond hmm. and that their fingers just either scrawl out the messages from spirits or, they're, they're, or they type it out. It's really how it feels. When, when the words are flowing. I think at those moments, it's, you know, at the end of it, man, I, I should mention, I, I, I promise you, I probably, uh, of, of, of every book I read, probably only one out of, probably one a year is by Stephen King. I keep mentioning him so much probably because I just, I've, I read so much of his nonfiction early on in my career and it really stuck. Hmm. Um, but at the end of it, you know, his famous novel with Pennywise the Clown, a character uh, is going down a, down a hill on, on a bike and just, you know, the wind whipping through his hair. He's actually doing that to bring back another character who's on the bike with him. I think the character's in a catatonic state. But it, it's that feeling of just, of child childish abandon, just total liberation. And I don't think I ever feel freer than than I do then. Uh, yeah, earlier today I was writing in the dark game and it's just, it's, there's nothing like it. It's just a marvelous hmm. thing. So what, what would you say makes a writer truly great? Yeah, I, th I think it, it's, it's the, the willingness to admit that one doesn't know everything. I, I really think that pretension, I think that arrogance, I think those, and, and also, I think those are the enemies of, of being a, truly great. I also think you, you have to have empathy. I, I really think that that is, to me, the most, you have to have this sensitivity, this willingness to, to really pay attention, to listen to others, to try to feel what others feel. It, it's funny, some of the writers I know, that some of the writers, they write some of the most ferocious things. You know, I, I read all kinds of stuff, but most of my friends who are writers are horror writers. I read widely. I mean, I love Westerns, I love sci-fi. I, I, I don't read many romance novels, but I do read like historical fiction with romance as a primary. I, I love everything. But most of my friends are, that are writers are horror writers. But man, they are so sensitive. They might talk about, you know, blood splattering over a wall, in their fiction, but yet they usually have characters who are relatable because that they really care about people. They're, they're the type mm. of people who will who will stop and help someone in need. They're the type of people who will just send a note. Like it's funny. Like if I'm off Facebook for a, a week or so, I'll get four or five notes from fellow writers saying, hey man, I was thinking about you, haven't heard from you, are you okay? And these aren't writers largely that have anything to gain from me. These are writers who are you know, probably better than I am and certainly better known than I am. They just really 
care. They're feeling people. So I think to be truly great, you, a, I do think there's an element of talent. I mean, I think, I think a, a decent writer can become really good. I don't know if somebody without talent can ever become great. Hmm. I do think you need some talent. But I think much more important than talent is your work ethic, your discipline, your persistence, your desire to learn, your humility. But along with those things, you've got to feel. You can't just be a robot. Uh, I really, uh, and, and maybe there, there are authors throughout history who would refute this, because I'm sure there have been some writers who have been some real SOBs. <laughs> but, but, but I look at... No. I look at uh, no, <laughs> never, right? Well, they're all well-behaved. I look, I look at Ray Bradbury as a good example. All right, mm. Ray Bradbury... I, I'm sure he has a skeleton somewhere in the closet, just like most most human beings do. But man, I, I watched all kinds of YouTube videos with him. Hearing him speak, he, he was just so passionate. He was so loving, so full of life and, and, and regard for human beings. And I love that. And I think that to be truly great, uh, or at least to reach one's potential or to transcend, I think that you've got to really have a heart as well as a great mind. I'll let that uh, sink in for a minute. Earlier in the show, I mentioned an invaluable resource for writers. Truth is the arrow, mercy is the bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories based on three decades of writing, failing, and trying again. Author Steve Almond is a beloved professor at Harvard and Wesleyan and the acclaimed New York Times bestseller of 12 books of fiction and nonfiction. And in Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, Steve employs the radical empathy he displayed as a co-host of the Dear Sugars podcast with Cheryl Strayed, where they explored the joys and trials of storytelling to explode myths that hold us back from writing our deepest and truest work. The book includes chapters on plot, character, and chronology, but travels far beyond the earnest intentions of most craft books. It also includes writing prompts to generate new work. Pulitzer Prize-winning author Richard Russo called it one of the best books on writing he's ever read, and also the funniest. Pick up a copy of Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories wherever you buy books and add it to your TBR today. And just a quick aside to revisit the exclusive Writer Files Patreon community where subscribers get access to uncut ad-free interviews, a writer's happy hour, bonus breakdowns, and a lot more. I know that for serious writers, it can be more distracting than ever to cut through the noise, stay productive, and home in on what's happening in the publishing industry. Over eight years, we've provided a looking glass into the habits of professional writers and publishing industry insiders. And as your humble host, I've decided to launch a membership-based Patreon for serious scribes to cut through the noise, swap tips and tricks, and hang out with like-minded peers. Just head over to patreon.com slash the writer files for bonus writing resources, monthly episode breakdowns, writer's happy hour, a community of your peers, ad-free episodes, and more. It's free to join to get a preview and you can upgrade anytime. That's patreon.com slash the writer files. Help us start something cool and special. Keep calm and write on. Do you have a couple of favorite authors that you're kind of stuck on right now? I know, I know that uh, you're a fan of Mr. King. Do, yeah. you, have, do you have a couple <laughs> others you want? <laughs> yeah. No, I do. Uh, some new discoveries, discoveries for me. I, I mentioned Brian Keene earlier, and he's really known as the guy who started the zombie craze in novels. Um, right. 28 Days Later, kind of rejuvenated film, Walking Dead, comics and TV. But then he's the one who wrote the novel The Rising in 2003. And that really, in, in the fiction realm, kind of kick-started the zombie craze that's still going on. So I always love reading Brian. 
some others I love. Joe R. Lansdale, I mentioned him earlier. He's this East Texas author. He, he's writing a, he writes a series called Hap and Leonard, uh, the Hap Collins and Leonard Pine. And it's actually being made into a series, a television series um, that I'm really excited about. He wrote, he wrote a movie or a book that became a movie called Cold in July that mm. came out last year with, a, I forget the guy's name, Star of Dexter. Uh, and then Don Johnson. Uh, hmm. so, so some of Lansdale's stuff has been made into uh, movies. And then a couple others that are recent discoveries are uh, uh, Gillian Flynn. Uh, I mean, of course, she's new. I'm slow to pick because I, I love reading classics. Like I'm reading, I told you I'm reading Agatha Christie right now. Yeah. I want to read. I want to read from all times. I don't want to limit myself to what came out this week, right? Totally. So I read all kinds of stuff from all eras. So like with Gillian Flynn, like everybody knows her and has been reading her for. I couldn't believe because somebody told me about Dark Places. I thought this was a fairly unknown novel. I go to Goodreads and they're like 300,000 reviews. I'm like, okay, so maybe I'm a little late to the party. <laughs> but but for me, she's new and man, she can write. I just yeah. I dig her voice. I love how she's not afraid to go there. You, you don't think she's going to go there, and she does. So I think she's a really courageous writer. She's not afraid to write about broken characters. I, early on with The Sorrows, it's a novel I'm proud of, but the primary criticism it received was that the characters, a lot of the characters were not likable enough. And that really, I, I hate to say it influenced me, but it did affect me a little bit. And like, I, I've, been, I've worried from time to time, oh, they're not likable. You know, what <laughs> if these characters aren't relatable and people are going to, you know, ding me again for that? And, uh, but with Gillian Flynn, it's like this huge double middle finger <laughs> to that kind of reader. Because, man, she just, she'll, she'll write these broken characters with these twisted psyches. But then again, that, I think that's how people are. I think we're all broken in some way. And so I really enjoy the fact that she's courageous enough to, to do that. And aside from that, she's just got great style and skills, man. She's got great rhythm, great word choice. So I love Gillian Flynn. And then another one I really have discovered, again, I'm late to the party. He's written probably 40-some novels. John Sanford and that dude, oh my goodness. Uh, he wrote this whole series, Lucas Davenport series. Now he's writing a series called Virgil Flowers, this Minnesota uh, policeman. It's like a special policeman. Um, and he is so good. Sanford, he is so incredible. It's like you talk about every word being in the right spot. I love writers who are surprising, yet everything fits. I think that's what I look for in a screenwriter, right? When you, when I can tell within like 30 seconds of a movie if it's going to be well-written or not. Because if, if it's all full of cliches and if I can anticipate what's going to be said every time, then that's a bad sign. It needs to, be, it needs to surprise me. It needs to be a little less predictable. But it still has to fit. It can't just be quirky for for quirk's sake and Sanford is that kind of writer he always surprises me but he never cheats uh, with with his dialogue with his descriptions even w with the way he springs a surprise on the reader so Sanford man I, I love that that writer I love that dude he's so good so with all of the uh, kind of influences in your life do you have a do you have a best love quote that you can share with us I do. And it's, it's, again, I hate to use that adjective sexy. It's not very sexy. It's not very uh, eye-catching. But I think that it sums me up well. Because I, I, I think I know myself pretty well. I, I, at least I hope better than the average person. I, I know that I'm not blessed with this you know, in, incredible once-in-a-generation talent like Mozart, right? He could write concertos at age five. I'm not that way. Uh, I have some talent. 
but I know that my altitude will be determined by how hard I work and how persistent I am and how I can strike that balance between confidence and humility, which is never, you know, that's an ongoing challenge, I think, for all of us, or should be. But uh, my favorite quote is from uh, Abraham Lincoln, <laughs> of all places, and I think it goes something like, I, I, I walk slowly, but I never walk backward. And that's how I want to be. I, I'm not going to uh, blind people with my speed. Uh, I'm not the fastest rider. I'm not blessed with more talent uh, than, than, than most, but I am determined. I'm incredibly determined. And I'm not saying that I'm so far from arriving that I shouldn't even use the word arriving. So I'm not saying I've arrived, but I have improved. And I have, I have risen higher than where I was a few years ago. And it's interesting that there are so many writers at that time that I was, you know, that, I, that came up with me that, you know, had more talent than I did, but they just don't do it. F. Paul Wilson's another writer I really like. Hmm. He, he talks about, he wrote the Repairman Jack series. Uh, he, he, he said something like, there's not enough. What is it? There's not enough going to do it in, in some people, something like that. And he's so right. Uh, Joe Orlando, I mentioned him earlier, he calls it the BIC rule, which is butt in chair. Sorry mm -hmm. for being crass, but I, I, I adhere to that rule. I put <laughs> butt in the chair and I write. Yeah. You, know, you might have more talent than me. Uh, you know, this, this, you know, whatever, invisible, non-existent you. But I, I, nobody will outwork me. Yeah. And, and I want to be like that Lincoln quote. I want to keep working. I'm gonna, I'll write until I'm in the grave. And, and however good I am at the end, I, I will reach whatever potential I have. Interesting, interesting. F. Paul Wilson actually wrote uh, The Keep, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, he did. What a great book. And yeah, it's like one of the only ones that I've read of his. Um, but I read it in high school and it scared the crap out of me. Yeah, and, absolutely. Uh, I think I, I, of course, watched the move that really weird um, film version of it. I can't remember the, the weird actor that was in that one, but it's such a weird book. It is. It is. I, I got to tell you if, you, if you don't mind, a quick story. I, at uh, Scares That Care, this convention, it's a horror charity convention in Williamsburg, Virginia, every July. It's going to be coming up on its third year. I got to meet F. Paul Wilson uh, wow. this past summer, and I, I had this amazing opportunity. Um, I teach, you know, I teach high school. I teach high school, junior high. I teach creative writing, English, and film literature. So I'm way into movies. And Brian Keene, the author who kind of hosts all the other authors. I mean, there are some major authors there. Uh, but he created this panel of authors whose works have been adapted for film. And, of course, F. Paul Wilson was one of those mm -hmm. writers. So I, I got to moderate the panel which was exceptionally exciting for me and nerve-wracking because here I am, you know, I'm in front of all my heroes or a lot of my heroes, and I don't want to sound like a fool. But um, F. Paul Wilson was one of the authors there, and I got to ask him a question about the keep. And it's really, to me, it's extraordinary that any book ever becomes a movie mm -hmm. because there's so many things that have to happen, so many pitfalls that can ensnare a, a project before it ever gets off the ground. But yeah, that was the one book that I think of, of his, and he's this best-selling New York Times best-selling author. I mean, he's yeah. a really successful dude, but I think he's only had one book made into a movie, and, and that was it. And that was like one of the first, might have been the first book he wrote. Wow. And it is, it's weird, but it's a great book. He, and I don't think he was very happy with the movie version of it. <laughs> If I, if, I, if I remember right, sorry if I've offended anybody with, with saying that, but I, I think that it was kind of a controversial movie version. Sure. I think it probably, like all movies do, kind of you know, took liberties with the source material. Wow, that's a cool story. Yeah. <laughs>
So do you have a favorite literary character of all time? Yeah, um, I, I do. It's funny. I, I, one is uh, Roland, and I, I'm, I, this is embarrassing, D-E-S and then Chain, De-Chain, Dis-Chain. It's, it's the gunslinger from the Dark Tower series uh, by, by Stephen King. I love, I love Roland. Uh, another character, you know, a series I just love, and, and at first I almost felt guilty because I was reading these books to my kids, and then I'm like, why am I feeling guilty? This is just amazing storytelling, and it's 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 the J.K. Rowling Harry Potter books, mm-hmm. and, and I'm I'm continually reading those. I, I I cycled through them with my first child, who's ten. I'm now in book five with my daughter, and a lot of those characters really really resonate with me. I love. I kind of want to adopt Hermione. <laughs> I just, I love her. You know, I feel like you know, societally, there are a lot of problems, and, and, and there are ways that maybe we've, I'm sure there are ways that we've devolved, but I also do feel like we've made some progress. And one area that we're making progress is accepting geekiness as a virtue. And acknowledging it as a positive thing, right? I remember when I was a kid, it was there was a stigma attached to being a bookworm and to being excited about things. And I love the way Hermione is just excited about learning. I love how she's yeah. unabashed in her joy that she goes to the library, and and she's such a, a neat character. Of course, Dumbledore, and and then you've got Snape. So so really, as as unoriginal as, as it sounds, the Harry Potter characters are, are always on my mind lately. And yeah. of course, Roland is another one I really, really dig. Yeah, it sounds like you are um, a fan of both paper and the ebook. I, I kind of skipped that question, but um, it sounds yeah, like you, it sounds like you do both rather uh, voraciously. I do, I do. I love both. I, I love both, and that's. I don't think they need to be mutually exclusive. I think you find. I don't think you find many ebook readers who hate print books they just have replaced them i think you do find you do find print readers who are kind of resentful of e-reading and i understand that i understand the resistance to it yeah. and 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 they, they're not to replace it it's just it's it's just a different way of reading so i, I love both and they, they both have their virtues sure for sure a fun one if you had to choose one author and you can choose more than one but uh if you had to choose one from any era for an all expense paid dinner to your favorite spot who would you choose and where would you all go <laughs> that's a good one and I, I i guess we're probably talking living authors right no you um, can choose no you definitely can choose uh, d- dead, dead authors i don't know how yeah. talkative they'll be but uh Right, exactly. We'll, we'll reanimate them. For, right, right. It might be a one sided conversation. <laughs> well, aside from Stephen King, I know I've talked about him ad nauseum in this conversation. He would be my first choice. I think others, I'd love to, I'd love to meet Bradbury. I would just love to, to, to be able to spend some time with him just because of his passion. I love, and that's another, life is so short. Why not be passionate? Why not be full of love and just bursting with love? I, I really think that that's the most powerful force in the universe. And I, I, and I really respect people who are unafraid to express that and unafraid to, to show love to each other. Uh, and that's, I think Bradbury was that way. So I think that would be cool. Mm-hmm. I, I really, uh, J.K. Rowling is another one that I would love to hang out with and, and just, just kind of bask in her presence. <laughs> sounds, it sounds like a fun party. Yeah, I think so, too. I just think she's so, she's so good. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm just attracted to people who, who feel. Yeah. I mean, I know that we need to think as well, but, but I think that maybe 
maybe societally we are a little bit too uncomfortable to share how we really feel. And, and sometimes I, I know as a man, I don't know, I don't know how you feel about this, but I just feel like, you know, there's sometimes it's, it's encouraged that we don't, right? That, that people get uncomfortable when they see a man cry, for instance, I cry not to overshare here, but I cry, uh, you know, probably about 10 times the, the, the norm. And it's always something good. I'm always, <laughs> because I'm, I, I just remember something one of my kids said, or I'm with them and I start crying because I love them so much. Hmm. Pixar movies, dude. Man, those things. I, I, I thought I was going to have to have like some sort of paramedic come during Toy Story 3. So, yeah. I, <laughs> they got your number. Yeah, what's that? They yeah, got, they do. They, they got they your number. They got everybody's number. Now, right? yeah. yeah, for sure. They know what they're doing. Yeah. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot... Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Um, all right, so um, you, you would probably cater that one, I'm assuming. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, do you have any writer's fetishes? Do you have a, um, any weird collections or vintage first edition uh, comic books? Yeah, I don't really collect in the sense of collectors and special editions and that stuff, which I totally understand why people do. I, I'm kind of I'm a little bit envious of those who do possess those collections. For me, though, I never get rid of a good book that I've read. Uh, down in my library, we just underwent a massive renovation. In fact, we're still in it. We started in April. We're still in the middle of it. It's not going to be done for a couple more months. But in this massive renovation to our historical home, we uh, I ended up with my own writing room and library, which I didn't really have before. So I've got, I don't know how many books down there, but thousands. And mm. I just love being surrounded by them. And, you know, they're mostly cheap paperbacks. I've got some nice hardcovers. Uh, I've got a few special books that are probably worth something, but mostly it's just my old paperbacks. Cool. But I, I still just, I, 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 I feel like I'm with friends. I love the smell of them. I just love mm. the sight of them. I'm inspired by them. And in each one, contains not just the story, but it contains a little bit of that author. I was, in the other day, I was reading the Diary of Anne Frank with my eighth graders, and there's this line from Anne, it just choked me up, you know, because, and I think that's one of the many reasons why fiction is so important. It's because, you know, obviously her story is mostly, you know, it's, it's a fictionalized version. The play is a fictionalized version of her diary, but it's so important to read just because, you know, we will feel then and be in touch with these people who have passed. But Anne said something like, I want to go on living even after I die uh, in, in this play adapted from her diary. And I'm sitting there thinking, and I said this to my students, wow, look at us now. We're reading about this, you know, this, this life that was mercilessly taken, but yet, you know, 
we remember her and, and we remember her example and we learn from her. And, and so there's a piece of her in this play that we're all studying. There's a piece of what she stands for, right? And a reason to stand up against bigotry and tyranny. And so all those books, while probably not as important as the Diary of Anne Frank, all those books represent a person too. They live on. Uh, and I love that. I love being there with, with John Steinbeck. I love being there with Shirley Jackson and The Haunting of Hill House. Mm. It just really gives me this feeling of timelessness, you know, that, 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 that we do go on. Cool. Kind of a, a time machine, if you will. It is. It is. So can you offer um, a nugget of advice to fellow writers to, on how to, how to keep the ink flowing and the cursor moving? Absolutely. I think that... I think the best thing, I think if I would have uh, heard this earlier, I would have, I don't know, I mean, things work out the way they're supposed to, I guess, but I probably wouldn't have wasted as much time as I did on certain things. And I think the best piece of advice I can give is to avoid landmine writing, which is, I guess, in itself a little bit of a paradox. But landmine writing, if you start to go online, if you start to read writing books, how to write, and there are a lot of great writing books on how to write, like Saul Stein has an amazing book, Stein on Writing. Uh, there's uh, James, not the not the guy that lied on Oprah, but the other James Fry, <laughs> how, to, <laughs> how to Write a Damn Good Novel. There are a lot of good writing books, so there are a lot of good advice. But what I, what I found, I think that if you just like take a step back, if you look at the body of knowledge or the body of opinion about writing, it's about 95% no and only about 5% yes. Mm. I think you find so many people talking about what they don't like, so few people talking about what they do like. And frankly, I think that's because it's easier to, to be, I, I love the movie Ratatouille, it's easier to be um, Anton Ego than it is <laughs> to be Gusto. It's easier to tell people what's wrong with what they're doing than it is to inspire them and actually take mm. the time to say, okay, here are the nuts and bolts, this is why this works. And, and I, I just think the best thing that you, aspiring writers can do of any age is to not fill their heads full of don't. Don't go to, when you find these threads, what are your biggest pet peeves? All right. Like you find that uh, on any writing forum. I never click on those anymore mm -hmm. because you know what? That's one opinion. Yeah. And, and, and you should not be paralyzed by that. You shouldn't become apprehensive about that because once you fill your head full of don't, you regard that blank screen or blank page as a minefield. And you start to tiptoe meekly out and then you pull back because you're so, oh my goodness, I almost made that mistake. And then you start to venture to your left, but then you're afraid to make this mistake. That's not the way writing should feel. Writing should feel exciting and exhilarating and liberating and passionate. It should be life affirming. It should shouldn't be uh, this exercise in terror, in, in, in self-doubt. And then I think the, the more you learn to avoid, and, and you know what? It is important to learn the rules. It is important to avoid certain things. But I just think that if the diet is too full of negativity, then you can really become hampered and inhibited. So you know, for me, I think the biggest thing was learning how to learn. And, and doing that, I, I, do, I do listen to writing gurus. But I think more importantly, I started to simply study the books that I love. Mm -hmm. all, right? all the lessons you need are largely right there in front of you. All right, pick up, you like this book? Pick it up, examine this paragraph. 
turn it over in your head until you find out how it works and why it works. And, and in, in doing that, you're not finding what not to do. You're finding what to do. You're finding what, what this person did that did work. And then you can adapt it to your own style. So I, I, I don't know. That, that was probably <laughs> a, a more uh, uh, windy, a windier answer than you wanted. <laughs> there you go. No way. That was... Uh, uh heartfelt and, and definitely a great a great message for aspiring writers um, Thanks, one that we can all definitely take a piece from so thank you for sharing that so uh your most recent novel wolf land yes. um is a really fun uh read it's dark it is kind of <laughs> bloody and uh it's about a high school reunion is that right that's right yeah <laughs> it, is, it is it is it's a 10-year high school reunion yeah and uh it's kind of interesting. I mean, you you work in high school, so I can kind of see um, where there might have been some some inspiration for that. But did you take any inspiration from a your own high school reunions? Uh, I did. I did. I tell you what. What's funny? Um, it's not so much from the reunions. It's from. Uh, what I imagined that they would be, because I think I—I I, I don't even think I've been to one. I, I think I've avoided them. <laughs> uh, but I think what it, what it was was going back to my high school career, and and really examining. There are all these things that bothered me, and there are some good things. There are some great people, of course, just like you can find great people anywhere. But there's so many things that I sensed were wrong, <laughs> and and I didn't really have the. The, the intellectual or, or, or self-awareness or wherewithal to figure out why, why they bothered me, or even to recognize that they did bother me. Uh, one example is, I, you know, this is, this is kind of this generic statement, like a straw man argument that I think most people would agree with. But I think societally, you know, there's this idea in, in many places where if a man is promiscuous, then he's a playboy, he's a stud, he's a Casanova. If a woman, you know, has multiple partners, well, there's something really Really wrong with her. She's she has relaxed morals and relaxed, you know. Uh, and I, I really, uh, that always kind of bothered me. It bothered me that 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 the heroes in school were these guys who were cutting this this swath of emotional pain through all these girls who were just not treating girls nicely at all, yet they were conquering them, so to speak, and therefore were the exalted gods of the school. And in it's and what really bothered me was, you know, as like a 15-year-old, I bought into it. And so I'm like, well, I need to be that way. I need to, I, I should, you know, really try to date this girl and that girl or whatever. And I'm not saying that I ever got that bad, but <laughs> I, I hate the fact that I ever, even 1% of me thought that that was something worthy of emulation. So that comes out in this book uh, and really gets put under the microscope. Yeah. And then another, you know, the, the other, the flip side of that, the shadow side of that is how judgmental people are toward women. I, you know, I, I know that men can be mistreated too, and they sometimes are mistreated. But I'm really, maybe it's because I, I have a wife and I'm the father of two daughters. I just really get frustrated with how women are treated. And I look back in school and, and I just remembered there were girls who, about whom there were constantly rumors being spread. And there was no effort made to understand them. There was no effort made to befriend them or to talk to them or try to, you know, just just treat them like human beings. They were they were this girl who had a lot of partners. And really in Wolfland, to me, the most interesting character became 
one of those quote unquote girls. And in, in that book, I kind of start to examine one of her life and, you know, what she's going through. And she ended up being the character I love the most. She ended up being the character that just kind of broke my heart, the character I was rooting for. I always go where the story takes me. I don't, I don't take the wheel at all. My characters take the wheel, but I was so rooting for her in the back of my mind for her to have a good life, for her to finally be treated with respect um, because she deserved it. And I look back at those girls that I knew in school, and man, I just, I hate the fact that I hate that double standard. Yeah. And I, I, I just hope as a society we can start to, I don't know, just start to examine some of those wrongheaded beliefs yeah. that, that, that people just, just buy into without any kind of scrutiny. Well, as there are so often is in great, uh, great writing, there's a, a subtext there that's... Uh, Pretty interesting. So I will recommend writers to find uh, Jonathan Jans out there. Where can fellow scribes connect with you? Yeah, I think the the I'm on Facebook under Jonathan Jans. I'm trying to branch out now. I've got a blog as well, JonathanJans.com. I'm on Goodreads. I love Goodreads, man. Do you go to Goodreads? Of course. Oh, dude, I love that place. I love Goodreads. What a <laughs> wonderful place. Uh, I go there, of course. I have, I have uh, Twitter, um, Jonathan Jans there as well. And then I just got on Instagram. It's funny because my wife helps and then my students actually, my former students, they'll graduate. I don't tell them my pen name. It's not really a secret because some of them figure it out, but I just don't give them my pen name while they're in school. Right. I remember professors. I, I, I hope I don't offend anybody, but I just remember professors who made me buy their textbook for their <laughs> class. And I just, I look back and I always, I would personally, I would feel funny doing that. I would feel funny saying, okay, you'll have to buy my book, right? right. So I, I don't tell them my pen name just because I don't want them to think that I'm foisting my work upon them. But when they graduate, they'll tell me, they'll ask me what my pen name is and I'll tell them. And then like a couple of my former students have been helping me set up Instagram. It, it really shows you know, <laughs> how old fashioned, what, like that really needs a lot of help, right? Yeah. But for me, I need, I need a little bit of handholding and they kind of helped me through that. So my wife, yeah. So, and my students, they helped me with that. Instagram under hmm. Jonathan.Jans, uh, Twitter, Jonathan Jans, Facebook, Jonathan Jans, and then JonathanJans.com on my blog. And then of course, Goodreads. I do a lot on Goodreads. So look me up there. So I'll interact with you wherever you connect. I'd love to meet fellow writers. It'd be a blast. Well, Mr. Janice, thank you so much for uh, taking time out of your out of your evening to chat with me, and um, uh, best of luck on uh, all of your future projects, and congratulations on your successes. Well, that means a lot. Thank you so much, Kelton. I loved being on here. Thanks for your patience with me and my long-winded answers, <laughs> and uh, and I love the show. You do an amazing job. You do a wonderful job. So thank you. Oh, cheers. Thanks again. Thanks so much for joining me for this half of a tour through the writer's process. If you enjoy the Writer Files podcast, please subscribe to the show and leave us a rating or a review on iTunes to help other writers find us. For more episodes or to just leave a comment or a question, you can drop by writerfiles.fm. And you can always chat with me on Twitter at Kelton Reed. Cheers. Talk to you next week. Bye.